Some of the greatest learning you'll experience in life happens as you solve problems. This is the fifth message in the series, Raising Resilient Kids and Adults. The message is entitled, Grow Grit, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're talking about you having a resilient life yourself and how do you as a parent raise resilient kids? And as a part of this series, I've been using a basketball to illustrate what it means to be resilient. Resiliency is the ability to bounce back from difficulty, challenges, obstacles, pain, and anything in life that comes against you. In life, we all face hardships. We all face difficulties. We all face things that come our way unexpectedly. And we have to have the ability to bounce back, to be resilient. Not only do we need this as adults, but our children need to be resilient as well. Because there's no way that you can pave the pathway for your child if you're a parent, but you can prepare them for whatever they're going to experience in life by building into them everything necessary to bounce back in the toughest of times. This basketball is resilient for several reasons. First of all, because of its shape. It's a round shape. It has the capacity to respond to the pressure, to the hardness. Footballs are oblong shaped. They don't bounce very well. But a basketball, a soccer ball, has the ability to bounce because of its shape, because it's filled with the right amount of the right stuff. If I were to let out a certain amount of air from this basketball, it would not bounce back. And so you have to have the right shape in life if you're going to be resilient, and you have to be filled with the right amount of the right stuff. You need to be filled with the Word of God. You need to be filled with the promises of God. You need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. As a part of this series, we've talked about a few other things that are necessary. You need to be filled with the spirit of gratitude. Grateful people are resilient people. We talked about the value of discipline because discipline shapes you into the person that God wants you to be. And that person is the image of Jesus that day in and day out, Jesus is working on you to shape you, to get him to become, to get you to become more like him so that you have the right shape for your life. And now I'm going to talk about another very important quality that will cause you to be resilient in life and a quality that your children need as well. And that quality is the quality of grit or the quality we might also identify as perseverance. Would you say that word with me, perseverance? The other word is grit. It's a word that is often used in educational environments now that children need to be gritty. They need to have the capacity to persevere, to endure, to continue steadfastly in the face of all kind of opposition or difficulties. And if you're going to be successful in life, and if your children are going to be successful in life, they need to be gritty. Not greedy, but gritty. And there's a big difference. This grittiness enables you to go through the toughest times of life. And you find this quality in the great men and women of the Bible. Noah was a gritty man. He was a man that built an ark in the midst of all kind of opposition. Nobody supported Noah in the building of the ark, but he built it anyway. He persisted in the process, and he saved his family in the great deluge. Abraham was a gritty man because he left a, a land that he knew, his homeland, and he went to the land that God showed him, the land of Canaan, and he persevered in his journey. Moses was a gritty man, a man of perseverance, as he goes through all the different plagues in Egypt and eventually leads the children of Israel out through the Red Sea into the wilderness toward the promised land. 
David himself was a man who had grittiness. He was a man of perseverance in his own life because he had to withstand the ongoing assault of King Saul against him, trying to keep him from being king of the kingdom. And he faces this idea, this, this, this experience of fleeing and being a fugitive from Saul. Job, obviously, is a man in the Bible who's known for his perseverance. He's known for his grittiness. He lost practically everything, but he, he stayed with it. He did not give up on God. He did not give up on his faith. And by the time you come to the 42nd chapter of the book of Job, he finds a place of restoration, a place of great blessing in his life, double for his trouble. Why? Because he persevered. He had grittiness inside of him. Paul, the apostle in the, Old, in the New Testament, was a man who learned how to go through the toughest times, often being jailed for, for his preaching of the gospel, his stand for his belief in the resurrection and the deity of Jesus Christ. And he ends up going through all kinds of challenges, but nevertheless, he is gritty, he is persevering, he is enduring in his faith, Amen. even to the point of being martyred for his faith. Your destiny... Your legacy will be determined by the grittiness of your life. The legacy, the destiny of your children will be determined by the grittiness, by the capacity they have to persevere or their lack thereof. So the question becomes for us to look at today and for the next couple of weekends together, what does it mean to be gritty? What do we need in our lives? What is required to become a person who perseveres? Today, I'm going to share with you four things the next couple of weekends, we will continue to talk about this theme of perseverance because it is so very important. Because if you don't have the grit inside of you, you're never going to bounce back from the toughest times of life. You have to have this quality inside of you. So how do you and I develop it? First of all, it starts by this very important movement in your life or commitment in your life, the commitment to depend on the true source of strength. This is where everything begins. It's important to remember that human strength, your human strength, and my human strength is limited. Many things in life will be and are too hard for anyone to face and to overcome by themselves. There are things in our life that bring us to the end of our own strength, the end of our own wisdom, the end of our own intelligence, the end of our own abilities. There will be things in life that will bring your children to the end of their own abilities, their own strength, their own capacities. And the sooner, actually, that we come to the end of ourselves, the quicker we are to acknowledge our need for someone who is greater than ourselves. And that one who is greater than ourselves is none other than God Almighty. You cannot make it to your full potential in life. You cannot make it through the most difficult seasons of your life without finding strength in someone other than yourself. You are not enough. Your children are not enough in and of themselves. Your child will never make it to their full potential in life without a relationship with God. And I will submit to you parents here today that you and I must recognize and understand that the greatest gift that you will ever give to your children is not a great education. Although education is wonderful, it's not sending them to an Ivy League college. It's not all the amazing extracurricular activities that you will provide them or the greatest stuff that you will give them. But the greatest thing you will ever give to your child is a recognition that they need God above anything else. 
They need a relationship with God because we all come to the end of ourselves. We must come to depend on a source that is greater than ourselves because you don't have enough air to keep this ball inflated. You don't have enough ability, nor do I, to keep this ball inflated as it needs to be, to be resilient in the pressures of life. Only God can be that source internally inside of you. David, as I mentioned a moment ago, was a man who understood resilience in his own life. And I want you to notice what he says in Psalm 28, verse number 7, the Lord is my strength. Who was David's strength? His strength was not David. His strength was not his relationship with other people. His strength was the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and and with my song, I praise him. So David acknowledges the fact that his resilience came not from something that was inherently in him, but was in his relationship with God. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Notice it says be strong in, not yourself, but be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul gives us a sense of this in his own life in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 of how he learned to depend upon a source that was greater than himself. When he writes these words, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. We came to the end of ourselves. We could not endure. We didn't have enough grit to do it ourselves so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. Notice this. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What was the key to the apostles Paul, Paul's resilience? It wasn't his own brilliance. It was the fact that he'd learned to depend upon God. The greatest thing that you and I can do in our life is to learn to demonstrate dependency upon God and to teach this to our children. They need to understand and value this. And dependence upon God is demonstrated in a variety of ways. Let me give you four ways that you prove that you're dependent upon God. Number one, you prove it by your prayer life. If you're not praying, you're not depending. If your prayer life is very weak and very, very scattered, if you only pray when you're in trouble, you haven't learned the value of dependence upon God. You and I need God every minute, every hour, every day. When things are going well, when things are not going well, in every season of life, fall, winter, spring, summer, every dimension of life, we need God. And prayer, a prayerful life shows that, God, I depend on you and I'm in relationship with you. I'm in communication with you. And so as we're talking to God, it shows we're depending upon God that needs to be built as a regular part of your life and something that you help your children develop as well. The value of talking to a God that loves them and a God that will listen to them when they pray. And then you need to have an awareness of the promises of God in your life. That's depending upon God. Because the promises of God will carry you through when nothing else can. I can't tell you the number of times in my life when I felt like I just wanted to quit. I didn't feel like I had any more to give. Have you ever been there before? 
You're just at the end of yourself. There's nothing else. I, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. I'm finished. It's all over with. I have nothing else. And then God comes along and he gives you a promise. And the promise puts some wind in your sails. The promise puts some air in your basketball. That promise begins to resonate inside of you. And you're, re you're renewed in strength as only God can bring it into your life. Why? Because you learn that, that God's promise will sustain you. So you teach your children the promises of God. You lay hold of God's promise for your life. And then you learn, thirdly, to trust in God. Trust in God is an ability to have confidence that God is going to take care of you even when you can't see how he's going to take care of you. You don't need trust if you can figure everything out. You only need trust when you can't figure it out. You need trust in the darkest moments of your life when you can't see Hardly your hand in front of your face and you're trying to figure out what life is doing to you and what's coming next and what's coming around the corner. Trust says, God, I'm confident that even though I can't see it, I know you see what I can't see and my trust is in you. Build it into your life. Why? Because it allows you to demonstrate I'm depending upon God. And then fourthly, make sure that you live a life of patience in your relationship with God. Because patience means you're depending upon him. Patience says this. Patience says, I'm confident. Listen closely. Patience says, I am confident that in God's timing, he will always do what is right and good concerning me. I am confident that in God's timing, he will always do what is right and what is good concerning me. And that means that you can wait your way through whatever comes your way because you're confident that in God's timing, not your timing, but in God's timing, he is going to always do what is right and what is good concerning your life. Why? Because he loves you. Can I encourage you today, if you and I are going to be gritty people and raise some gritty kids, some kids who know how to persevere when life gets tough, you and I need to depend on the one true source of strength. And there is truly only one true source of strength. We know him in our relationship to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. The second thing today you and I need to see as God sees. If you want to be gritty, you've got to have a change in your vision. You've got to have a change in your view. Instead of just seeing with your natural eyes, you have to develop an internal vision an internal capacity to see what can only be seen through the eyes of a relationship with God. A vision that helps you to see beyond just your circumstances. Another word for that vision is perspective. To have the right perspective on, on God, the right perspective on yourself, the right perspective on other people, the right perspective on the world around you. Because if your perspective, if your internal vision is warped, if your internal vision is clouded, if your internal vision is misdirected, you're going to have a hard time persevering. Because all you're going to see are the problems of life around you. You'll never see beyond that. You need to see and I need to see and our children need to see through what I would call God lens. 
to see through the perspective of God. And there's a story in the Bible that I want to remind you of in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. It's a story of the prophet Elisha. And there was a time in Elisha's ministry when he was being attacked by a group of people actually surrounding him by an army, an army of, the, of, the, of, of Syria coming against him. And he had one of his servants there with him. And we find this story described for us in 2 Kings chapter 6. And I want you to notice the difference in the vision between Elisha and Elisha's servant and the prayer that Elisha prayed, a prayer that you and I need to pray as well. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, this is the, the servant of Elisha. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And so the servant wakes up early the next morning, one morning, and he looks out and he sees this vast army surrounding he and Elisha, two of them. That's all he could see, me, Elisha. Didn't see anybody else. All that he saw was the army, the enemies surrounding him. And notice verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. What do you mean, don't be afraid? There are two of us, and we're surrounded by all this host of enemies. But Elisha said, those, listen to this, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Stop there for a moment. You got you to understand what's going on. Here's Elisha and the servant. And Elisha's servant just heard Elisha say, there's more with us than with them. Yes. And Elisha's servant's counting one, two. <laughs> because all he could see was two against many. But Elisha had a different vision. Amen? Yes. Elisha had something going on on the inside of him that the servant didn't have. Amen? Yes. Are you with me, church? Yes. Are you with me, Frederick? Are you with me, Gaithersburg? Okay. Elisha had a vision on the inside that the servant didn't have. And so in verse 17, here's the answer to the situation. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See the difference. What caused Elisha to have resilience was his vision. Amen. He was able to see as God saw. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 when he says, No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I see, I understand that neither, life, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, no matter what I go through, I can see something that others can't see. I can see the love of God. Okay? I can see something because I have it, a vision on the inside. A great passage of scripture spoken by Jesus himself in the book of Revelation that you and I need to remember as well. Jesus said these words, I am, chapter 22, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That whatever you're going through, don't worry because he's already gone through it with you. Amen, okay? Whatever you're facing in your life, he said, 
have the vision that I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. And when you get to the end, you can be assured that victory always accompanies the end. Amen? So here's some questions for you. You'll see them on the screen today. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Think about it. How does God see you? What's your vision of how God sees you? When he looks at you, what does he see? Does he see his precious child? Does he see someone who's going after him and seeking to follow him? What does he see when he sees you? And the second question is, how do you see God? What's your image of God? How do you view God? How are your kids learning something about how to view God? Who is he really? What's his nature? What's his character? How do you view him? And then the third question is, in light of how you see God, how do you see yourself? Because if you see God the right way, then you should see yourself the right way. Because when you see yourself through God's eyes, everything's different. Gideon learned this lesson, did he not? In the book of Judges, chapter 6, Gideon is is afraid. He's up in in a cave in a mountain threshing out some wheat for his family because he was afraid the Midianites were going to come and steal everything his family had. And God showed up in angelic form there in that moment and said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon was surprised because he was living in fear, but God saw him as a man of valor. And he rose up and helped the Israelites defeat the Midianites. Why? Because the image that he had of himself changed because he saw himself as God saw him. And everything changes when we begin to see ourselves as God sees us. And the fourth question I would encourage you to ask yourself, to reflect upon, to think about is in light of how God sees you. How do you view your obstacles? How do you view your challenges? How do you view your difficulties? If you really know who God is, and how God sees you, and you see yourself the way God sees you, then you will view your obstacles differently. I promise you, you will. I'll give you the proof of that. Anyone remember the story of David and Goliath in the Bible? You remember that story? Okay. What are the elements of that story that we need to remember today? Here's a key element to the story. When David walked in, you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. When David walks in to the battlefield... Initially, what's happening is Goliath is intimidating the whole army of Israel. Every day they would come out to, to, to confront Goliath, and Goliath would speak some words, and they would all run away because they believed giant was the, that Goliath was the biggest giant they'd ever seen. But David comes on the battlefield, and David doesn't see a giant. David sees God. Okay? Yeah. And when everybody else saw the giant, David saw God. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Where is my slingshot? We're going to show this guy something about who God is. Okay. So when you begin to have this, this thing inside of you, this vision inside of you that sees differently, not just what you see externally, because the Israelite army, they could see externally, they saw the obstacle, but David saw differently. He had resilience. He was able to bounce back in the battle. Why? Because he saw what other people couldn't see. His vision was the right vision. What is your vision? What vision are you training your children in today? Thirdly, Third lesson for today, engage obstacles and challenges and difficulties and changes. Engage them. If you have the right vision and you have the right source of strength in your life, 
then when obstacles and challenges and difficulties and changes come that are, that, are, that, are, that are upsetting potentially to people, it allows you to do something with them that's positive and productive. It allows you to engage them instead of running away from them. You know that a lot of people spend their whole life running away from obstacles? Every time an obstacle comes up, they try to find a way around this obstacle and a way around this challenge. They're always looking for the least path of resistance. And so they never develop fully into the person that God wants them to be because they never face or deal with any kind of obstacles or challenges in life. But when you have the right source of strength and the right vision, then you can actually engage the obstacles that you face with something called faith. See, faith is a key element of being resilient. Faith is not a feeling that you have. Faith is believing in God and believing in who God says He is and what God says He's going to do in your life. And you need faith. You need faith and your children need faith. Your children need to understand what faith is and they need to see faith in operation in your life as well. Because the Bible makes it very clear Listen closely today. The Bible makes it very clear that obstacles and difficulties and challenges and changes are going to come our way in life, and they will test something in your life. They will test your faith, okay? In fact, the Scripture says that's why we experience them. James chapter 1. Look at what James says. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds... Because you know that the testing of your faith. What's testing the faith? Trials of many kinds. See, there's no testing of faith without trials. There's no proving of faith without trials. Whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces. What does it produce? What's the next word? Perseverance. It produces grit. It allows, allows you to be stronger on the inside. Let perseverance, let this grittiness finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Paul speaks of this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, in our trials, our tribulations, because we know that suffering, trials, tribulations produce perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Testing, testing of your faith produces something in you. It produces perseverance. It produces grit. It produces depth of character. If you are going through something today, and I'm talking to someone here today, probably many of you here today, if you're going through a very difficult set of circumstances in your life right now, obstacles, trials, or testings of your faith, let me encourage you today, may your faith rise in the midst of it to face that and say, my faith is bigger than my problems. My faith is bigger than my obstacle. My faith is bigger than my giant. Amen? I don't have enough money. Well, God says he's going to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I'm fighting this health issue. The Lord says, I am your healer. I'm facing anxiety and, and disturbance inside of my mind. Jesus said, I am your peace. 
And so we begin to exercise our faith in that direction in the, in, the, in the face of our obstacles. In fact, this is a precious thing in our lives. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Peter describes the preciousness when our faith is tested. He said, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have, you, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, through your challenges and your obstacles and your difficulties, God is shaping you, and He shapes you through the faith inside of you to be the resilient person He has called you to be. You and I need some obstacles in life. We need some challenges. We need some difficulties. Because if you don't have them, you will be a weakling. Your children need some obstacles. Your children need some challenges along the way. Otherwise, they will be spiritually and emotionally weaklings. We have a lot of spiritually, emotionally weak kids running around in our world today. And the problem is they're being raised by spiritually weak, emotionally weak parents, okay? So God calls us to a different kind of lifestyle. Stop trying to weasel out of every difficulty. Let that difficulty cause your faith to arise and you to overcome. Anybody can do it. Listen, anybody can do the easy stuff. Anybody can do the easy stuff, but it takes something much more to do the hard things in life. It takes grit and grit requires faith. Last point. Everybody still with me today? Yes. Just about done, okay? Number four. To be a gritty person, to have perseverance, you have to be a problem solver. Amen. Now, I talked just a moment ago about obstacles and challenges and difficulties. Those are things that you engage and you overcome. Problems are a little bit different. Problems are similar, but, but they have a uniqueness to them. Problems are not just something you overcome problems need to be solved, okay? And there's certain things in life you don't over, overcome. There's certain things in life you have to solve. There's a problem that you need to solve in your life. And solving problems is tough because it requires effort. It requires thought. It requires action. It requires investment. If you have a difficult marriage and are dealing with a marriage situation, it's not that you want to overcome an obstacle in your marriage. There may be some obstacles there, but you need to solve some problems in your marriage. Amen? Okay? Because if you solve some problems in your marriage, then, then that issue begins to subside, and you don't face it over and over again. And so certain things in life are problems that need to be solved. And we're growing, I think, in our culture today, we're, we're getting less capable of solving problems. And part of the reason is because of technology. We don't have to solve problems that we used to have to solve. When I was in school, you actually had to solve math problems. Longhand, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember those algebra equations, okay? I didn't have a calculator, and I didn't have Alexa, and I didn't have Siri, okay? I had my own brain and a piece of paper in front of me, and I got to figure out how do I do this? How do I solve this problem? Exactly right. But progressively over time, we have 
through a variety of things, we, we're losing our commitment, our capacity to solve problems. We, wanna, we just want to give up when problems come. Look, if you've got a problem, don't give up. That's a part of life, amen? amen. So you want to say, okay, there's a problem here. Let's tackle it. Let's go again. Let's do something. Let, let's find an answer. Let's find a solution. Let's find a resolution. Problem solvers are resourceful people. And if you're going to be resilient, learn how to bounce back, then you don't just, just, just give up at the, at the face of any problem that comes your way. You say, no, there's a problem. I'm going to put something in here that says I'm a problem solver. Okay? There's a problem here, but, but God is going to help me to solve the problems that are part of my life and my experience. Elisha, again, gives us a great, great example of this. There's a story in Elisha's life found in 2 Kings chapter 4 where there was one of the wives of one of the sons of the prophets that came to him. Her husband had passed away and left her in great debt. She's facing a big crisis. Look at the story beginning in verse number one. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Everybody say big problem. This is not an obstacle. This is a problem. Okay. It's a big problem. She is now facing the loss of her boys to pay off the credit that is owed left to her by her now dead husband. And so she doesn't know what to do. Her only, uh, her only hope in this situation is to subject her sons into slavery. What a terrible choice to have to make. This is a big problem. Notice what happens next. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she replied or said, except a small jar of oil. I want you to notice here that in this story, Elisha comes back and says, I, I want to help you. And the way I'm going to help you is to have you look for a solution. I want you to look in your house and see what you have. Don't tell me what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. Find something in your house that represents a resource. I want you to get resourceful. Look around and find something. It might, it might may seem to be very small, minute compared to the bigness of the problem, but, but tell me what you have. I want you to engage in a problem-solving process with me. She looks around and says, well, I don't have anything, but I do have one little thing. I've got a little jar of oil. I've got something. And Elisha says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for a few. So they go around her and her sons ask for all these jars. And, of course, you know the story. He told her to go inside to their little kitchen area and begin to take that little jar of oil to shut herself in with her sons and to take that little jar of oil and to begin to pour it into the, the, the empty bottles. And every one of those bottles were filled by a miracle. It was a miracle of God. But she was involved in the process. Listen to me. Boy, I want you to hear this today. I'm talking to somebody. You're facing a problem in your life. And God says, take the little thing that you have, the one little thing that you can do, and start doing it. And I'll show up and I'll help you. Okay? I'll show up and I'll help you. But God is waiting for us to take initiative to solve problems. Don't run from your problems. Solve them. Amen? Some of the greatest learning lessons that you will ever experience in your life will happen when you solve problems. Because as you work on problems, you're not only getting wiser, you're also getting stronger. Don't solve all of your children's problems for them. Be there to support them and to coach them and to help them. 
but helps them to learn to solve problems in their own life. Why? Because as they're learning to solve their problems, their school problems, their relationship problems, their different all kind of things that will come their way in life. As you help them learn to solve problems themselves, you're building in them something that's going to make them successful in their life. You're helping them to become resilient in their spirit. We need grit. How do you get grit in your life? Perseverance. You depend on the one source you and I need. Be strong in the Lord. See as God sees. Begin to have vision in your life that sees beyond your natural. When obstacles and challenges come, let your faith rise. And when you're facing a problem, be determined that you're going to be a problem solver. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we're very grateful today for the opportunity we've had to study your word. We're so very thankful, Lord, for the kindness you show to us by giving us your precious word. I pray that something that's said today would resonate deep in our hearts, would find its place in us and produce great fruit for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.